Thank you for joining us for this week's message from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. Each week we share thought-provoking and life-changing teachings on topics that are important and relevant to you in your life. We hope that you will be encouraged by our weekly podcast and will tune in regularly. Now let's join the First Christian Church of Great Bend for this week's message. So, um, do you have any regrets? Is there anything in your life that you have done? Are there people you have hurt? Things that you have said that you regret? On the flip side of that, are there things you've left undone, things you didn't say, places you didn't go that cause you regret? Or how many of you sitting here, if you're really, really honest with yourself, are living with regret? Yeah, and the rest of you are liars. <laughs> because the truth is, all of us at one time or another have done something or left something undone that we regretted. It just seems to be a part of what it means to be a human being. We all have regrets. And so, in response to this reality of regret, today to help us begin to get into and understand this important topic, we are going to be jumping into what I consider to be the biggest regret in the Bible. And the reason we're going to be jumping into this specific regret is because for me, Almost more so than any other story in the Bible, it really puts into perspective the nature and the power of our own regrets. So, uh, Judas Iscariot was a man Jesus called to be one of his 12 disciples. Which means like all the other 11 disciples, Judas spent approximately three years following Judas or Jesus everywhere. For all the miracles, for all the healings, for all the teaching that Jesus did, Judas had a front row seat to experience all of that. And it's even the case that Judas was one of those disciples that, that Jesus sent out from time to time to go and do kingdom work. To do the very thing that Jesus sent him out there to do. Or according to the early part of the Gospels, Judas, like the other 11 disciples, was one of those people Jesus handpicked to be a part of his inner circle. Now, what you'll learn about Judas when you begin to do some digging around is that some scholars argue that before Judas became one of the twelve, before he was hand-chosen by Jesus to be a part of the inner circle, he was actually a member of a Jewish group of rebels called the Sakari, or the Daggermen. And what we know about this particular group is that in response to Roman oppression, that's what's going on at this time, in response to um, the, the Jewish leaders being in cahoots with the Romans, this group was known for assassinating important people in power. That's right. This is a group of assassins that Judas belongs to. And the way they would do that is they would have these long hidden knives that they would carry underneath their coke, cloak, cloak, excuse me. And then when they were in a crowd, they would pull it out and they would take someone out and then sneak away, hopefully, you know, in the cover of the crowd. And the reason they did that is because it's the only way they could fight back. They were tired of the way things were. And so they were trying to make things change. Now, the reason why some scholars believe that, that Judas was a member of the Sakari is because Judas's epithet is Iscariot. And remember, in the ancient world, people didn't have last names, but descriptions after their first name. 
For example, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Jesus was not born to Joseph and Mary Christ. But it's a description of who Jesus was, right? Christos is the, the, inter, is the Greek interpretation of the Hebrew word Moshiach, which means Messiah. Christ and Messiah are the same thing. Well, in the same way, Iscariot was not Judas's last name, but a description of who he was. So based on that, some scholars argue that Iscariot was a corruption of the Latin word Sicarius, meaning daggerman, which means Judas was a member of this Sicari, or this violent collection of assassins whose goal it was to take people out in power. Now, the reason I share that with you, the reason I find that very interesting, is because it kind of helps us to make sense of what Judas ends up doing, giving his violent background, right? Given who he used to be before he became a follower of Jesus. Because as you know, what he, what he then goes on to do, as you read throughout the Gospels, which is what Judas is infamous for, is that even though Judas spent three years watching all the amazing things that Jesus did, and he participated in this ministry, he was a part of this thing, we find him in the end doing the unthinkable. He ends up betraying Jesus. He ends up selling out this man who at one point he believed in so much that he left everything to follow him. Judas said yes to this in the beginning. Matthew 26, 14 through 16 says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Or the description that we're given about the actions of Judas here, which come out of the blue. Right? Now, we know the story. We've been doing it our whole entire life. So we get automatic when we think Judas, we think betrayal. But if you'll read the Gospels, you'll find that there is no hint of this early on in the Gospels. He's like the other, you know, that, that are barely mentioned disciples. Right? And then all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, there's this betrayal that takes place. And so for some reason that we're never made aware of, maybe it has to do with his past. That's why I bring up his past. Maybe that's what it is. Judas makes a trip to the very people who have been out to get Jesus and his disciples from the beginning, and he sells Jesus out. Or in a sense, he makes a deal with the devil. And the deal that Judas makes for Jesus' life is 30 pieces of silver. And what makes that price so interesting is that according to Exodus 21:32, that is the price of a slave. 30 shekels of silver is the price of a slave, which means what the, the Jewish leaders think of Jesus and what Judas thinks of Jesus, that he's no better than a slave. Which is pretty remarkable when you think about it, right? Or, or I don't know, to really put it into perspective, what Judas is doing here is he's selling out Messiah, the son of the living God who came not only to save him, but to save the world for the price of a slave. How did he miss it? How did he miss it that bad? So at this point in the story, there's no doubt that Judas seems to be the biggest dirtbag who ever lived, right? Can I get an amen on that one? I've never got an amen for a dirtbag before. That felt good. Because how in the world could someone who followed Jesus around and saw all the good that he did, giving people hope, setting people free, healing people of their diseases, while showing everyone's God love, how could he sell him out for 30 pieces of silver? For me, that seems as evil as it gets. 
mean, that, that's, that's backstabbing at its worst. Or the saying that comes to my mind, and this is probably a movie that some of you are familiar with, yes, he deserves to die, and I hope he burns in hell. And that's, that's where we sit with what Judas has done to Jesus. But here's the interesting part of Judas' story. When you get to the point of hating Judas because of all the evil that he has done, right? You get to that point and you're just like, I'm done with this guy. This guy is the worst guy on the planet. What you will find is you continue following this tragedy out, which we oftentimes skip over because we love to hate Judas. He's the enemy of all enemies. Is that surprisingly Judas ends up regretting his actions. He regrets what he has done. He is sorry for what he has done. Matthew 27, 1 through 4 explains. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Or as soon as Judas learns that his actions, his betrayal, have led Jesus to facing the cross, that horrible instrument of death, which apparently is something he didn't see coming, right? I don't know how he didn't see it coming, but he didn't see it coming. He's surprised by this. He doesn't jump for joy and celebrate that his nemesis is finally going to die because he's the most evil man in the world. No! What happens to Judas when he hears this heartbreaking news is he is convicted to the deepest parts of his being when he realizes that his actions are actually going to kill an innocent man. And so in response to that regret, first of all, what he does is he takes that money that he made for selling Jesus out, which is only 30 pieces of silver, and he gives it back. That's blood money now, and he wants nothing to do with that blood money. But then what Judas does, which blows me away, he takes this regret to the furthest extreme, right? This is the furthest extreme that you can take a regret. And he went and he hanged himself. He went and he hanged himself. Or Judas regrets his actions so much that in the end, he finds it a whole lot easier to take his own life than to live with the consequences of what he has And you thought your regrets were big, right? Now, what I want you to notice about this tragedy is that this story, almost more than any other story in the Bible, actually puts into perspective not only what regret is, but the power that regret has in our lives. Or in essence, it gives us a kind of picture or paradigm that really helps us to see and even experience to a certain extent. This reality that haunts all of us. So while keeping all of that in mind, Judas' story in mind, the first thing that I believe that this story has to teach us is that regret, at its most basic level, is really nothing more than a feeling of remorse, sadness, and shame that's caused by something we did that we wished we didn't do. Right? Regret is a feeling of remorse, sadness, and shame 
that is caused by something that we did that we wished we wouldn't have done. For Judas, his regret was the feeling of remorse and sadness when he realized that his actions led to the death of Jesus. Something in the end that he wished he wouldn't have done. If he could go back, he wouldn't do it again. Which then puts into perspective our own regrets, right? Because what I think you'll find when you you think back to your own regrets is that like Judas... What's causing those regrets in you, those feelings of sadness and shame, is at its most basic level, how many of you have done something that you wished you wouldn't have done? And it haunts you. So that's what a regret is. Or how many of you begin to cringe and feel shame or sadness when you think about that thing that you said, which you wish you wouldn't have? Anybody got that one going on inside your brain right now? How many of you get a a pit in your stomach when you think back to that one thing that you did to that one person that you love that you wish you wouldn't have done? How many of you are filled with remorse and some kind of sadness when you think back to that moment in your life when you chose not to do something that you wish you would have chosen to do? Oh, I'm the only one that has these issues. What's, What's going on here? That's regret. That's regret. And what Judas' story helps us to not only see but to feel is that no matter how big or how small our regrets may be, when it comes right down to it, a regret is nothing more than a feeling of remorse, sadness, and shame caused by something we have done that we wished we wouldn't have done. But... The most important thing that Judas has to teach us about regret is just how much power regret can have over us. Or what our regrets can do to us if they go unchecked. Or as Judas' response shows us, regret has the power to destroy our lives. Now, of course, in Judas' case, this is a literal thing that happens because of the suicide. But I would also argue it's the case that that regret has to destroy our lives in much more ways, right? And that I know people who, because of their regret, that have allowed that sorrow and shame to control and dampen almost every part of their existence. I know others that, that even though God has forgiven them for that one thing that they did that they wish they wouldn't have done, that are still carrying around that regret, which is like a weight that's not only ruining their lives, but it's ruining the lives of everyone around them because because they're miserable. And I still, I I even know others who hold on to their regrets because they believe that what they're getting is what they deserve. And what all of that makes very, very clear for all of us is that regret is not this small thing that we can just ignore. It's not just this thing that we can keep at bay. It's not something that we can repress and just go about our everyday life. No, regret is a huge problem that is keeping many a faithful Christian from living into the life that is truly life. It's a silent force that we never talk about or acknowledge, which is present in our lives and in the world, that is holding us back from becoming all that God has created us to become. Or again, how many of you know this reality? Nobody's going to raise their hand. All of you are going to sit there as liars. So, 
now that you're starting to, to see the reality and the power of regret, what I would like to encourage you to do, which you're not going to like, by the way, is in preparation for the next three weeks, what we're going to be doing in the next three weeks, while keeping everything that we've learned today in mind, because basically all I've done today is I've set out what a regret is and the power it has in our lives. Now that you've got that in your mind, what I want you to do now is to do the hard yet necessary work of bringing up and thinking through all of your regrets. Doesn't that sound like a picnic? <laughs> I really do. I want you to go back through and think through all those things that you have done that you wished you wouldn't have done. And the reason I ask you to do that is not because I want you to suffer. Although some of you are going to suffer when you bring this stuff up. That's the nature of regret. But because I want you to be ready. I want you to be able that, that when we walk through this process, to be ready. To overcome and be set free from, from those regrets that have been holding you back all these years. So that at the end of this series, I mean my goal at the end of this series is this. I want you to be set free. I don't want you to be holding on to that stuff anymore. Because the truth is, it's holding all of us back. It's where our excuses come from. It's why we think we're not good enough. I mean, there's so many things that these regrets do to our lives. And then ultimately, what I want to show you in the very end is God doesn't want you to hold on to your regrets. God wants to forgive you and set you free of that stuff. Because God knows that if you're holding on to that, you can't go and do and be all the things that God called and created you to be. So anybody else want to be set free of some regrets? Yeah, we'll, we'll come back and see. If it doesn't work, you can boo. How about that? Good luck. God bless, and I hope you'll take this seriously because it will set you free. Let us pray. Father, we come to you, uh, man, this topic is hard. There's so many people out there in the world that I know of, man, they're struggling. They've done something that they, they wish they haven't done. They, they regret not doing a particular thing. I mean, it's just this, this weight that, it, that is over them. So now that we know what a regret is and the power it has in our lives, Lord, for the next three weeks, help us to figure out how to be set free. Help us to do what we can do and to understand that what you really want for all of us is that we no longer carry this stuff around. That we are set free to go out and do incredible things in your name. So Lord, we invite you into this journey with us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. You are invited back next week for another life-changing message from the First Christian Church of Great Bend, Kansas. Please check out our website at www.fccgbk.com. That's fccgbk.com. May you have a blessed week.